I hope everybody has a bulletin and the little copy of the um, uh, Prayer of Serenity. I'm going to be talking about that today. Um, we've been uh, in a series on uh, the biblical worldview and mindset. And if you have ever uh, been on the internet and seen uh, a article that you're reading, a blog that you're reading, or something you're reading, and there's a hyperlink that takes you to another site to go into more detail about something, you could almost say that the next two weeks is one of those. I'm still in some sense addressing that, but I have several series that I've left open. One is the teachings of the Master, one is the spiritual disciplines, uh, and uh, another is... uh, Uh, some of the basic doctrines. So um, I want to talk from the standpoint of uh, the spiritual disciplines and particularly the subject of prayer, uh, which includes worship. Uh, But I want to talk about it in terms of uh, personal prayer uh, in the context of the biblical worldview series that we have have been doing. Particularly today as we start the... uh, liturgical year, and I want to look at a specific prayer. Now, the passage that was just read ends with a prayer that's very commonly used among Christians, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That, that, that's a, a prayer common to many Christians. The most well-known prayer in Christendom is what the Catholic Church calls the Our Father, And what Protestants tend to call the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Disciples' Prayer. And it is a model of prayer and found in all the catechisms from the various denominations. And really is foundational to all Christian prayer. But today I want to examine another very well-known and popular prayer called the Prayer of Serenity. Now you have it on the paper that you have in its long form. Uh, Most people are aware of it in its short form. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about the short form. Next week I want to expand into the long form of it. Uh, But it simply goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It continues, living one day at a time, Enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, excuse me, and not as I would have it, (coughs) trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever. In the next, amen. Now the origin of this prayer is uh, tied into mythology and fact. Uh, The short form of the prayer has often been attributed, coming out of the mist of tradition, uh, being tied to St. Francis, to Thomas Aquinas, to Augustine, uh, to other individuals uh, in the ancient world. Uh, And there are precursors of this prayer. In other words, there are phrases similar to the phrases found in this chair. 
prayer, found in Christian and Jewish uh, prayers and quotes well in, in the early historic times of the ancient world and within the two great religions of Judaism and Christianity. But its present form, the form that I just read and that you have, uh, is attributed to the American Lutheran pastor and theologian, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. Now, its content goes back to antiquity, but its form is recent. That's not unusual in Jewish and Christian tradition. For things to be uh, significantly biblically founded, and then to begin to be used in short phrases, and then for those phrases to be brought together and used in a final form that becomes commonly used uh, within the tradition. And so uh, this is one of those. Now, it's become the primary prayer of the recovery movement and Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you should be familiar with that with the one day at a time idea and the prayer of serenity um, with the idea of alcoholics uh, seeking the higher power, in, in this case, God. And so I believe that this prayer also should be memorized and used by every serious religious Christian. So what is the use of this prayer? So as with the Lord's Prayer, this prayer lends itself to being memorized, at least the short form. Uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, memorizing it is very simple. It can be done by a child. It can even be done by an adult. And uh, the second thing is that it should be used systematically, as the Lord's Prayer also is. And I believe in the placing it, uh, of it in our homes and on our congregational walls. I'm presently looking for a version of that here for the Disciple Center, uh, as I am for the Lord's Prayer uh, as well. Now, what do I mean by memorization? Well, I talked last week about memorizing Scripture. And prayers are part of our spiritual discipline. And the traditional prayers of Judaism and Christianity really connect us with our brothers and sisters of the past in a common voice of prayer. And so this shared content that comes out of biblical content and has really been vetted biblically over the years uh, causes us to pray truth and not the chaos that many spontaneous prayers are. And you, you know those. Sometimes we're praying and we start praying and we get lost in our words and then we have to bring the truck around the side and then we finally get to where we want to end and we close. And, and the truth is a lot of those spontaneous prayers are, are woven together from statements we hear from other people's prayers. So uh, to, to make that a virtue is, is, not, uh, is not a good thing. Written prayers that have been thought through, that are speaking to God, uh, that have biblical content, are not a bad thing to do and should be part of our, our process. And so, uh, uh, memorized prayers allow us to pray together so that everyone can join in and say the prayer uh, at the same time, as a family or as a congregation. And this is a much neglected aspect of prayer in the free church tradition, uh, in the more liturgical tradition, it's, it's very common to do that. Uh, systematic use, then, should be that we memorize those prayers and incorporate them into our personal prayers and devotions. 
this one is particularly good for the beginning of the day, a morning devotion, because it focuses on the serenity, courage, and wisdom that we need during the day. And uh, just as we may use the Shema to begin our prayer or the Lord's Prayer to begin our prayer and then add our own prayers to that, using the prayer of serenity as a beginning or ending part of that can be, can be useful. And then placing it on our walls. Uh, we are commanded by God's Word to put His words on our gates and on our walls so that they will reinforce our mind and our behavior. I think the placing of certain prayers can also assist us like the tzitzit, like the, the uh, fringes uh, that are commanded to Israel uh, as a way of reminding us and certainly of our children and our grandchildren when they see those. Now the danger of sticking something on your wall is that pretty soon it fades into the background. And so it might be wise to have prayers that change with seasons and change over years so that they are brought back and, 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 and become a reminder uh, of us as to what we should be saying to God. So I think that using these, first by memorizing it, Secondly, by systematically applying it into our own prayer life and then placing it also in the homes and in the congregation on the walls. I'm hoping one day that the prayer chapel will have some of the major prayers of Judaism and Christianity on the walls. And I can't decide whether to have them framed or I've always wanted in a prayer chapel to have the Lord's Prayer done as the uh, kind of as uh, a border all the way around the, the thing, I think that would be wonderful. If you've ever been in the uh, Church of All Nations uh, in, uh, uh, in, in Jerusalem, they have the Lord's Prayer in every language possible uh, on the walls. And it's just, it's just beautiful uh, to see that done with wonderful calligraphy in that kind of context. So I'd, I'd like to do that. But let's get to the content of the prayer itself. The short form of the prayer really has three requests from God, and uh, they find their source in the scriptures. Uh, Beginning with God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Now, serenity is a quiet stillness, a tranquility, a peacefulness that happens when we are at rest. Something many of us don't experience a lot because we live in a world where if it is uh, quiet and calm for a minute, uh, one of two things will happen to us. We will fall into a boredom uh, that says we got to do something, or we will just fall asleep because we're exhausted, right? Last night we were sitting uh, around the, uh, the pool with the little fire area open. We finally cleared the forest around that area of the, of the house, and we were sitting there, and we weren't there very long, but there was a, uh, as the sun is setting, there was a serenity, there was a peace, there was a tranquility. Uh, the, the thing that we experienced over at Dick and Carrie's house with the water there, you know, that there's just this kind of peacefulness, and, and what then begins to happen is it becomes timeless. Uh, Cheryl said, it's only 5.30. I mean, it felt like time had gone on. We, we find that with Shabbat. The first time we ever did Shabbat with, a, with the whole family, we, we did it. It was, it was wonderful. And, and Bruce said, 
this feels like it was two days long. You know, it felt like a vacation because it, it, the time and eternity begin to interact in that kind of context. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about serenity. Uh, and the prayer asks God to give us this peace, this serenity, this tranquility. But it requires us to accept the things that we cannot change. That requires that we give up the idea that we are in control and that we can fix all the things in our life and that we will only be at peace when everything is fixed. Now, for some people, that's not a problem. For many in this room, that's a difficult issue. Okay, uh, Being able to accept that you can't fix everything. Uh, that's a problem for therapists. That's a problem for mothers. That's a problem for fathers. That's a problem for people. Uh, we, we feel like if we can just get a few things done, then we'll be able to relax. And maybe the beauty of Shabbat uh, is the idea that you have to stop. It's that time again. So t- you have a time out. You have a holy time out. And in that time out, there is that serenity that comes. So Praying for serenity is an important thing. And it is exactly what God wants to give us. We're supposed to pray for things that are within God's will. And this is certainly uh, the will of God. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers chapter 6, this serenity, this tranquility, this rest, this peace is part of the blessing of God that the priesthood is supposed to bless the people of God with. In uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, we're told, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. And the blessing is God's grace and the blessing is God's peace, that tranquility, that rest, uh, that being at peace with God and with each other. Now this is a peace that is different than the world's peace uh, and that we are told in John chapter 14. Jesus in speaking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, the night before he would suffer and die, Uh, preceding his resurrection. Having spent time with these uh, men and preparing them for ministry and them still not fully getting it, he tells them uh, that he is going to give them peace. And in verse 27, he says, uh, well, 26, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he will bring to remembrance what I've told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. When you are at peace, you cannot be anxious. You cannot be in fear. One of the signs we used to put out in front of the Friends Church when I was the associate pastor there was, why have faith when you can have ulcers? And the idea was that we have a tendency to be afraid for things, Things that we can't change. Uh, We are uh, anxious about things. 
things that we can't change. Uh, for the most part, most of life are things that we can't change. And so, taking this world as it is, and knowing that the peace of God is beyond that, is really important for us. And of course, that triggers, at least in my mind, I imagine in yours, Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 6, where we are told, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing. The idea that God will guard our mind and guard our hearts, our emotions and our thoughts that go crazy trying to figure out how to fix everything when we can't fix it. And even if you can fix it, it's going to break again, right? I mean, that's really what life is about. And so one of the things that we need to learn is that underneath are the everlasting arms. Now, I'm, uh, I'm preaching this as much to me as I am to you because uh, two things trigger in me a constant anxiety. One is being an asthmatic. And if you know anything about the research, asthmatics have a tendency to be on... Uh, 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 on alarm all the time. It's just part of our nature from this struggle for breathing. The second one is I come from an abusive background and that also triggers the brain and sets up patterns so that you're always watching and you're always on guard. And so relaxing is very difficult. It's one of the reasons why for me relaxing is usually done alone. Because if someone else is in the room, I'm on... I'm on alert. There are some people who can be in a room and calm me. I married one of those. Uh, she doesn't always calm me, <laughs> but she can calm me, and 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 that's valuable because if there's nowhere to go to get that calmness, and I I learned very quickly that the ocean will calm me. That's why I like sailing and I like being on a cruise and I don't need to do anything. They can just put the boat out in the water and leave me alone. And I, floating on that water, I calm down. Okay, And then I go into a deep coma <laughs> of sleep. But the, but the idea is that we need that. And praying and asking God for that peace and that blessing of tranquility and rest that has to be there in the midst of the storm because the storm's not going away. This is asking for peace and serenity about the things that I have to accept, what a word, that I cannot change. So, much could be said about this, but I'm trying to simply do an overview on this. But accepting the fact that we cannot fix the world and many things in our life and having peace in the midst of that is what we are striving for when we agree with the words of the song, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well 
it is well with my soul. And so we can have peace in the midst of death, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of all these things that we cannot change because God can grant us an awareness of his presence and of his watch care and of his ultimate hope. And so it is very biblical to pray, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Now the second part of this is, God grant me the courage to change the things I can. Now you could go crazy with this one, and many people have, particularly Americans, because Americans are about changing the world, fixing the world, improving the world, being the ultimate whatever, that's what we just prayed to get out of. So we're not now praying to get back into that rat race. This is the courage to change the things I can. And courage is a word that means the ability to face difficulty and risk, pain and suffering, loss and lack, as we are being obedient to God's commands and wills. This courage comes from God, who is our encouragement. Now, I want to say that again because I want you to catch this. This is not saying, Lord, okay, I look at the world and the world needs to be fixed and the world needs to be corrected and the world needs to be altered. And all. God says He's going to do that. I have to accept that He's going to do it in His time and in His way and be faithful to what He's told me to do. But we take our peace and then grab some, well, what can I fix and change? Right? And that puts us back on that rat race. So the issue here, courage is to be able to face the difficulties of life. And they are legion. Man's life is filled with troubles. There are always things that are happening. Well, that one didn't come. So when we think of courage, don't think of courage to boldly go where no man has gone before. That's... That Star Trek kind of American courage is not what we're talking about. We're talking about God has said, here is how I want you to walk. Walk in my ways. Walk in my statutes. Walk according to my commandments. But God, there's pain in this. There's suffering in this. There's misunderstanding in this. There's difficulty in this. And he says to us, be strong and have courage. I am with you. So let's take a look at that. Joshua chapter 1. In the book of Joshua, we reach a point where uh, Moses uh, has passed from the scene and now Joshua has inherited this complaining mass (laughs) who are on the edge of the promised land after 40 years of wandering. And God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all the people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness of Lebanon, even as far as the great river, 
the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittite as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses. I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Now we know that passage. That's quoted in the New Testament writings. And it's given in a broader context. He's saying it to Joshua and to Israel. It includes us. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, and then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. He's not telling you, find out what you want to do and do it and I'll be with you. That's what's being taught in the church. He's not saying, find out what the world says success is and I will make sure you get that because that'll be a testimony to me. And that's being preached in the church. Here's what God says. Do what I tell you. Don't deviate from what I tell you. Do what I tell you. Don't be afraid of anything. Be courageous. Just do what I tell you because I'm going to be with you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. As I was with Joshua, I will be with you. As I was with David, I will be with you. As I was with Abraham, I will be with you. That great cloud of witnesses. As they obeyed me, I was with them. And they succeeded in the obedience of what I told them to do. Very different message. Very important message. Be courageous. And when I first started teaching this kind of a congregation, uh, a community of faith, people who were following the scriptures, trying to be obedient to God, a little more liturgical, I had people telling me all over the place, Bruce, this isn't practical. People won't do this. They have to be entertained. They have to have great music. They have to have super preaching. You just can't do it the way you're doing it. But we have been faithful to God. And we have had success in the doing it now into the third generation. And I think that's meaningful. I think that's important. That's my, as I used to tell the Westminster Church, the brief shining moment of Camelot where we say to God, see, we get it. We can't keep it going, but we get it. And I'm not afraid of that. I believe that's important. We are to be courageous because God is with us when we are obedient to Him. It is when we walk our own way that we should fear. But when we walk His way, we should not fear. Now, that statement about God being with us is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 8. Let love of the brethren continue. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. We have a story about that. I don't have time. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated. Since you yourselves are in the body. This idea of body life. And obeyed God through love. And the commandments is important. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers God will judge. I, I was overwhelmed this last week as I talked to students at Cal Baptist. When I was growing up, we didn't think, are we going to get married? We thought, when will we get married and who will it be? The, the question of, are you getting married or were you going to work? were not questions of my generation. The generation after, they were my sons and daughters' generation, marriage became an option. And in the generation that's currently coming up, you have to convince them that marriage is even an acceptable option. They are growing up with the idea that marriage is probably something that will get in your way. The commandments of God are being set aside. So, he goes on and says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? So it's this context that praying for courage is about. It's not courage to, to become successful, it's courage to become obedient and to be successful in our obedience to God and our faithfulness as stewards of God. And to not be afraid of all the circumstances, whether by the culture, the world, the flesh, or the devil, that, that will come against that. And that leads us to the passage that I almost can't get away from. Romans chapter 8. Verse 31. Don't be afraid. You can obey me. Walk in my ways. Don't be afraid of the problems that will come as a result of that. I will be with you. Verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus died, yes, rather has been raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So who or what can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Don't be afraid of that. Distress? Don't fear that. Persecution? Don't fear that. Famine? Nakedness? Peril or sword? No, be courageous. As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these, we overwhelmingly conquer. Why? Because no matter what these things do, even if it ends in death, resurrection 
will bring us past it. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, things to come, nor powers, height, depth, any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we are told that the difficulties to obey God need not be feared because God is with us. We can be obedient against circumstances that we cannot change. We can learn to trust God and continue to be strong and encouraged in the face of things that we cannot change while we obey God in what He commands because those are the things that we can change. We can change our disobedience into obedience. Again, something the church has been taught they can't do. And then he says that we are to pray, or in this prayer, this prayer asks God to grant us the wisdom to know the difference. Boy, you can spend a lot of time in indecision, you know? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? Maybe I'll do that. What about this one? But what if this happens? So you, can, you can work yourself into a frenzy so that there is no peace, there is no tranquility while you're trying to make a decision. Wisdom, discernment is really important because it is an uh, idea that we need to be able to discern first the ways of God so that we can walk in them rather than the ways of the world, which are not. So we end up with two kinds of wisdom. A wisdom from God and a wisdom from the world. And the person who gives us the best information on that is the Apostle James. So James chapter 1. James 1 verse 2. Consider it joy, my brethren, when you are encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith finds endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. Wow. We're back to that. Give me peace, God, to accept the things I cannot change. Courage that I may walk in obedience to you. And wisdom to know the difference. So he says, if you lack wisdom, verse 5, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. I see this every day. I prayed for wisdom. Okay, then make the decision. Well, what if God didn't give me the wisdom? Well, he obviously hasn't. See, when we ask God for wisdom, we have a decision to make, and we have looked at the scriptures, we've looked at the circumstances, and we ask God for wisdom, God says what? I'll give it to you or I won't give it to you. What's he say? I'll give it to you, right? So if you've done due diligence, what you should do is ask for wisdom and then make a decision. But we don't do that. We make an indecision. God, give me wisdom to make this decision. This one or this one. What should I do? We go right back through the same thing. Well, you're not going to receive wisdom from God because 
you're, you're double-minded. And double-minded people are always in the valley of indecision. Right? And then where, what happens out of indecision? Anxiety, stress, tranquility and peace goes out the window. And now you can't use your, you're not courageous towards obeying God because you don't know what to do. And you're a mess. So James tells us that we are to ask God for wisdom and we need the wisdom from God. But what we do is we seek the wisdom of man. And so he addresses that. And he tells us how to discern the difference. Chapter 3 of James, verse 13. Here's a set of verses that you should meditate on. Here's a set of verses you should memorize. Here's a set of verses you should put into practice. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from obedience to God. If you are obeying God and you ask him for wisdom, in the experience of obeying, you you will become wise and you will become wise without strife. In gentleness. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. That's not God's wisdom. That's the American way. This wisdom is not which comes down from above. It is earthly. It is natural. It is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. I've got to make this work. It's about me. I don't want you to have it. I want to have all of that. That's not the wisdom of God. That's the way of the world. But he says, the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable. Ah, we're back to tranquility. Gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, good behavior towards others. And it is unwavering, doesn't, no double-mindedness, without hypocrisy. It doesn't say one thing and do another. And it is the seed whose fruit will ultimately be righteousness. And it is sown in peace by those who make peace. There is great wisdom and benefit in knowing this simple prayer and saying this simple prayer and meditating on this simple prayer because it's filled with biblical content put into a small package like a vitamin that we can take in the morning and at other times. God, grant us peace in accepting of what must be endured. God, grant us courage to act in obedience as we have opportunity. God, grant us wisdom to understand this difference so that the peace and the courage that we experience will be genuine. Amen. Next week we'll look at the extension of this prayer. Let's pray.